Yes, sir. Amen. Well, I tell you what, that drop ceiling that uh, the church uh, had installed for us there at Bethlehem Baptist Church has been a lifesaver. Uh, yeah, we're, we're enjoying the 30-degree weather here, but they're enjoying 80-degree weather year-round and sometimes up in the hundreds. And so that does help drop the temperature inside the building a tad, not much, a tad, but uh, any, any amount helps. Uh, if you have your Bibles, look, if you will, into the book of Philippians chapter number 2, Philippians chapter number 2. For me, it is a, it's a great privilege to be able to serve the Lord as a missionary in ministry. Uh, I'm not one who, when I was growing up, I, I was just kind of your average kid. I, nobody would have looked at me and, and said, you know what, you're going to be a missionary. I said, no. Uh, I, heart, I struggled in English. I struggled with spelling. Um, I wasn't really good at edu- education as far as that was. I, I, I got better at learning how to take tests. Uh, but I wasn't the, the cream of the crop, if you will. I, had, I was your average teenager. Uh, your average teenager has three vices. Your average teenager has the vice of video games. Anybody have like that, a teenager like that? They're stuck on video games. Uh, I, had that, I, I grew up at my, my babysitter was a Nintendo. Now they have all sorts of new stuff. And then the second vice most teenagers have, or at least in my time frame, was sports. I'm six foot, I, I was six foot at, in high school. I played a lot of basketball, and I could play basketball. I'm, I, was, I grew up in Tacoma. I could play basketball in the rain. Uh, I just enjoyed it. Now, I wasn't any good, but I, I could do it, and I enjoyed it. And I could spend hours just playing hoops and, and any kind of sport. And so that was my second vice. My third vice, that's how I met my wife, ah, ah, girl crazy. <laughs> I had a new Christian-wise girlfriend every other month, if you will. And that's how I met my wife. Uh, and so uh, we won't go into that story for time's sake. But, uh, but the Lord really changed my heart and changed my life on a missions trip. God took all of that away. Uh, and my missions trip wasn't just for like a week. Uh, back then, my pastor was Pastor Mike Lane back at Faith Baptist Church in Tacoma way back in the 80s, in ni- early 90s. And it was back when the Christian school movement was gaining a lot of momentum and traction, especially here in the Northwest. And we had a Christian school in our church, and uh, they used a curriculum that they had a, a, a pilot school in Central America, and that school was looking for some graduates to come and help kind of teach the curriculum and teach the kids. And so they contacted my pastor, and my pastor called around to some missionaries down there to see if it was a legitimate thing, and they said, yeah, and, uh, they need help. And we actually have an independent Baptist, there was an independent Baptist church within walking distance. And so they organized a trip where I went down for a full year to the country of Honduras. Now, here I am, 18, 1993, graduate high school. And like oh, three weeks later, I find myself on an airplane to a country I've never heard of before <laughs> that speaks a language I don't speak. And I land there, my pastor's taking me, he drops me off, and I meet the, the, the pastor, and I meet the group, and, and I'm there, and God takes all of those vices out of my life in one shot, and he does it for a year. He took sports out. Why? 
I'm a six-foot-tall gringo. I don't play soccer. <laughs> I like to play it, but I'm not very good, so I do, they don't invite me to play. I'm the last one to get called to play. And they never tell me when there's a game because they don't want me to show up. <laughs> he takes the video games away. It's a third world country. Nobody's got a Nintendo. Nobody's heard of a Nintendo back then. And then on top of that, they had power rationing, so there wasn't even electricity half the time to even play video games. So God took those two, and then girls, forget it. Girls want you to talk, or at least listen. I, I couldn't talk, and I couldn't listen because I didn't understand what they were saying. So God took all three vices out of my life in one shot for a full year. It's amazing what God can do on a missions trip. But God used that trip to change my life. In Philippians chapter number 2, the Son of God took a missions trip. Not to have His heart changed, but to change our hearts. In Philippians chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 7, the Bible says, But made Himself of no reputation, and took upon Him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God with which worketh in you both to, do, to will and to do His good pleasure." Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Missions is still the primary focus of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to this world as a missionary. To redeem the unredeemable. To save the not worthy of being saved. And he in his greatest missions in, uh, mission endeavor, Jesus Christ came to this planet. The emphasis here is that Christ humbled himself to come to where I am and to where you are. In no way are we trying to say that he was equal to us because he cannot know sin. But he made himself equal as far, as far as he lived in our atmosphere. He sorrowed as we saw. I, I think even the shortest verse in the, in the Bible really is a testament to what Christ did for us. It, the shortest verse says, Jesus wept. In other words, he experienced some of the emotional valleys that we have experienced. But the greatest story of missions began that day. And he and his mission 
continues to carry that out through the local church. In Acts chapter number 1, verse number 8, the Bible says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. It was God's purpose for man to scatter over the earth with the gospel. Man did not willingly do that at first. They stayed in Jerusalem those first couple of years. And the, and the church, the local church there in Jerusalem grew and grew and grew. But God's purpose was to, hey, go throughout the, all the earth. My, my heart is for missions to see the world come to know me as their Savior. And so God in His providence sent a man named Saul. In chapter 8, you read of what Saul did to the local church in Jerusalem. The Bible says in verse number 1 of Acts chapter number 8, And Saul was consenting unto his death. At the time, there was great, a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. The Bible says that in verse number 4 of Acts chapter 8, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. God's purpose and missions was now being fulfilled because those that were fleeing the persecution were convinced in their heart that Jesus Christ can still save. Today we need to recognize that the mission that Christ came to, to, to earth to fulfill, to seek and to save that which was lost, is still a valid reason to live. But as we think about missions, missions must, first of all, start in your head. It's got to start in our head. I praise the Lord that the Bible has not called us to a religion of mysteries, of feelings, of following what a man might have to say or the opinions of others. The Lord Jesus Christ and God in His omniscience has given us the Word of God. It, it's a manual where we can live our life. You know, people always come to me as a missionary, as a pastor. They say, hey, I need some counsel. And you know what? They're looking for me, for, to me for the answers. They're looking to your pastor for the answers. But I, let me tell you, uh, because he's a dear friend of mine, I know what he's going to say. I might not have the answers, but I know where to find them. Amen. It's right here. It's the manual. You see, my opinions are of very little value. My opinions can often be wrong and many times are. Think about how many times that I, me as a young person, I was led by emotions. And I think many times we all are. But you know what? The Bible is not emotional led. You know why we need to be involved in missions? Because the Bible says so. But I just, I just don't feel like it, Pastor. It doesn't matter what you and I feel like. It matters what God said. But you know what, God and I, you know, I just deal with God. You don't have a deal with God. God's given us the instructions. The head is where the brain or the mind is. It's where we understand things. For us to understand what missions is and what God really wants of our lives and the purpose for which we are here, we, we must understand it from a biblical point of view. We can't just go half-cocked. There's no such thing as the Lone Ranger Christianity. You can't just do what you want to do. 
You have to do what God wants us to do. There's a right way and a wrong way to do just about everything in life. And God tells us how to do it right. What I believe is not important unless it corresponds to what God's Word says. So missions, if we're going to talk about reaching the world for Christ, there are lots of ways to do it. But let me tell you, the the only way that counts is the one that does it God's way. And it starts in the heart with knowledge. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse number 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, it must start in our head. We must recognize what the truth is. We have to recognize what it is. The only way I can distinguish what is truth and what is a lie is to know what the truth is. If you realize that the truth never changes, then you need to know what that truth is. You see, the Bible not only contains the Word of God, it is the Word of God. The Word of God is a lamp unto our path to ensure that we're walking in His ways. David knew this when he wrote Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. He says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a light. It illuminates where we ought to go. Pastor, where should I go? Well, let's look in the Bible. Let's, Let's try to determine where God wants us to go. John chapter 4 verse 35 says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. You know what? There are a lot of things I can feel, but the Bible says other things. And I have to follow what the Bible says. Missions must begin in the head. The Bible says, I need to lift up my eyes. So many people have so many unbiblical uh, uh, points of view about this world. Why? Because their eyes are focused on the television screen. They're listening to Fox News. They're, heaven forbid, they're not listening to CNN or MSNBC. But if you watch any kind of legacy news for five minutes, you're going to fall in in deep depression. It's depressing watching what's happening in the world. Uh, uh, From a worldly perspective, that's what the world has to offer. Death, destruction, violence. Oh, but I need to know what's going on. That's okay, but I need to know what's going to happen. This tells the future. I need to know what this book says. Hannity can say what he wants, but you know what? God said some other things. Jesus said, look up. Lift up your eyes. You know what's exciting? Reading prayer letters. That helps me lift up my eyes. Why? Because I can see what God is doing around the world. You know what's exciting? It's exciting that this last September, we had six uniformed officers in our services helping with Day of the Child. Why? Because we've been reaching into the police and trying to help them. Now the police come to us. They say, hey, Brother Jason, can we get some New Testaments? Our New Testaments are kind of unique. They're not the little blue Gideon things. They're, the, they're big, full size. We got a custom page printed on them with the capital city, picture of the capital city, and it says Honduras on it. And, and, and 
each, not Honduras, it just says like Central America, but it's, they're beautiful. They're custom made for Central And we get two containers a year of those things. The police have been coming lately and asking for boxes. Have you ever seen, a, in Honduras, we're poor. We don't have a whole lot of money, okay? So the police can't afford to put fuel in their cars. So what do they do? They get checkpoints. We have four main city roads going in and out of our city of 250,000 people. So on big days where everybody's going to be traveling, like vacation days, holidays, they'll put up checkpoints at those four points. Before they start, they'll come to our church and they'll grab box after box after box of New Testament and take them to each checkpoint. And as cars and buses are stopped by the police to check their paperwork, give me your license, give me your paper registration for your car. Okay, well, that looks in order. Here's your Bible. Here's a track. Take it, read it. Last Easter week, highest travel day of the year, the police passed out 150 boxes of New Testaments. That's more than the average church sometimes pass out in tracks. It's amazing to see what God is doing. Every Thursday, we get to go and hold services at the, the Honduran version of the White House. We preach to the men and women that protect the president of Honduras. We've seen countless numbers of soldiers and officers come to know Christ as their Savior. The very last Thursday I preached there, the lieutenant colonel in charge of all the security task force invited us in, invited me in to go and, and have breakfast with him after the service because we do services like 6.30 in the morning. It, it, and he said, come on in. So he walks me in. I'm literally sitting across the way from the president's office having breakfast with a colonel. And he goes, you know what? I'm a believer. I attend such and such a Baptist church and we're so excited that you've been here for over 15 years, preaching to the soldiers. And just having a two-hour conversation, I was like, don't you have to work? It's like 8.30. He's like, no, I've, I purposely kept you here because there's so much traffic out, you couldn't get in and out anyway, so we're just going to have this conversation about the Bible. I mean, things are happening, and not just in Honduras, but your missionaries around the globe are experiencing this. You can watch Fox News all you want. I'd rather read those letters. It starts in the head. But then it has to travel to your heart. You have to recognize what the truth is from God's word. But then you have to go. It has to travel to your heart. It has to make an impact. So many times we look at the Bible and it just looks like black and white letters. And, and it really doesn't make a difference. You see, the word of God has to reach our heart. It's more than just memorizing the Bible says that we have to guard His Word in our heart. It's not just a head. It's got to travel 18 inches down further. The heart is our, the seat of our emotions. You see, the things of God need to change us emotionally. I feel sad for the Christian who, who doesn't get excited about seeing people saved. Man, I, I'm excited when somebody receives Christ as their Savior. I'm excited when somebody makes a decision. The most excited people in our church, you know who they are? They're the ones who have brought somebody. <laughs> and they're, they're the ones going, preach, pastor, come on, preach hard. My friend needs to hear the salvation. And I praise the Lord for people like that. It's because why? The message has gone from the head to the heart. 
it talks about a compassion. It talks about uh, this will, this desire emotionally to see God do something in the lives of others. I thank the Lord for the compassion that He had for us. You see, missions involves four ingredients. It, in, it involves God the Father. It involves God the Son. It involves the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has to save us because we cannot save ourselves. But it also involves the believer who shares the gospel. See, none of us were saved just out of the blue. Every one of us that have been saved have been saved because someone shared the gospel with us. You know what? That's what true compassion is. Taking the truth, applying it to our heart, and sharing it with a lost world. You see, I was in 1994. I didn't speak Spanish. I had understood a few phrases, and about seven months into it, I was sitting in Pinel Baptist Church there in the capital city, and I knew they were having a missions conference because they had decorated the auditorium for missions. But I didn't understand any of the preaching. But it was a Saturday night. I was kind of gazing out the window because I was, didn't understand anything. With, I don't know what they're saying. But God touched my heart with what I saw. You see, I had read in scriptures about missions. I had read about seeing the lost saved. And I had read all about that. But it was in that moment that God took what I had seen and what I had in my head and he applied it to my heart. And it was in that night I knew that God wanted me to be a missionary to the country of Honduras. I remember the night like it was yesterday. I was looking upon the city of one, at that time, one million people and all the lights at night and thinking, man, I don't know very many churches that even preach the gospel, much less go out and share the gospel in public in this city. And I looked across the valley and I saw the lights on the other side of the city. And I said, I wonder who's sharing the, the gospel under that light way over there with those people. And I knew there more than more than likely no one. And the Lord shared with me the, the verses in Romans chapter number 10. Look, if you will, in Romans chapter number 10. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? It was that verse right there that affected my heart. You see, I've read this, and many of us have read that verse over and over and over again in our life. And it's been stuck in my head for, for, for 19 years. But it finally reached my heart and God said, that's the verse for you. And it was at that time God said, you will be the preacher that shares the gospel here in Honduras. And it gave me a compassion. Compassion, I, I don't understand why. People always ask me in Honduras, how often do you get to go to the States? And I, I, I tell them honestly, I, I, honestly, as little as possible. <laughs> What do you miss about the states? I said, other than a couple friends and family members, nothing. They're like, what? So many of us want to go up there. And you want to stay down here? I said, yep. 
Because I've learned something. The Bible teaches me I'm happiest where God wants me. My geography doesn't determine my happiness. I'm happy because I obey the book. Obedience brings happiness. My, my car, my house, relationships, none of those, they can produce temporary happiness. But permanent joy comes when I obey the book. That night, God took the truth that was in my head and moved it to my heart. But it must not just stay in my heart. Missions doesn't do any good if it stays as a tear on the edge of my eye. You see, missions must begin in the head, must travel to the heart, but it must flow through our hands. The hands symbolize action. There are very few things that we can do without our hands. We work with our hands. We talk. Man, there's some people that talk with their hands. You ever seen people like that? Especially if they know sign language. They're all, they talk with their hands. My, my son is hearing impaired. There's some, sometimes his hearing aids are off, and so we have to kind of communicate via signs. And I don't, I'm not, I'm terrible at sign language. Okay, let me, I know a couple of words. This means I got to go to the bathroom, Dad. <laughs> he, he, he knows that I know that one. <laughs> he knows that's no. <laughs> But there are some people that are, they cannot speak without using their hands. They're flying all over the place. You don't want to get close when you're having a conversation. Stay. Personal bubble. <laughs> but missions is no good if it stays in the head and the heart. I praise the Lord for Berean Baptist Church. Why? Because God has used the leadership and pastor and many of the leaders in this church to get it out into the hands. To go and do things. To, to make missions real. Your hands will reveal something about you. There are people that are carpenters and they work with their hands. I, I, I cannot draw a straight line. I am not an artist. I, I can't. If, if you ask me to cut, I could use a miter saw and still make a crooked line. But I grew up twisting wrenches. I can work on cars. I don't like it, but I can do it. That is some, I did it for six years. I was a mechanic. Well, fake mechanic. Sears Automotive, when it existed, I was one of those guys. <laughs> I was a tire buster. And I tried to be the best tire buster and battery changer there was. And it gave me some hint. But you know what? I'd come home from work. My hands, regardless of how much orange goop you put on it, that black tar really doesn't come out of every crevice. There are people that work with their hands, and you look at their hands, they're all callous-filled, and you're like, man, that guy works with his hands. The same thing happens with a man or a woman who has his heart and hands in missions. Oh, you won't find calluses on their hands. Many times you'll find calluses on their knees begging God to help a missionary. Many times you'll find that they're the first ones present. Pastor will do whatever it takes so that our church can be presentable. We'll do whatever it takes to serve the Lord so that others can hear the gospel. You want to go on a mission trip? I'm, I'll make sure I make availability in my calendar. I'll do whatever. If I can't go, I will support that trip. I will do whatever it takes. I'll put my hands to the plow. 
Our hands symbolize action. There must be hands, first of all, of surrender. Hands of surrender. Everybody knows what this means, give me. It means in Honduras, everybody, it's just give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. It's a, it's a, that's what they do with their hands. But you know what? The Christian's hands is not doing give me. It's like take. Take the gospel. Take, take this track. Do something with this. But first of all, before we can even do that, we have to surrender. We have to say, not my will, but thine. Not my will. I, 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 whatever, Lord, you want me to do, I'll do it. But as long as it's your will. Must be hands of surrender. And then once we've surrendered our hands, they can be hands of service. Proverbs 12, 24, the Bible says, The hand of the diligence, diligence shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 4, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. The most excited people in our services in Honduras are those whose hands have been on the plow of the gospel, sharing it with others. Today, missions is still the goal of Christ. His goal is still to share the gospel with every creature. Mark 16, 15. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Creature. And you might have say, you might say, hey, Brother Jason, I've heard that verse all the time, my entire life. Good, you've got it in your head. Has it reached your heart? Have you seen the need? Have you seen what God can do? The week prior to us flying back to the States for my daughter's wedding in September, we had the privilege of going into four public schools. We took, uh, had a group come and visit us from another church in here in the States. They flew down. In four days, four days, they got to preach the gospel 80 times in public school. Every day, 1,200 students heard the gospel. In some of the schools, they, they were small enough schools where they said, Hey, everybody's going to the courtyard, preach to them. You got two hours. Public school. In some of the schools, they were kind of larger, like 400 students each. They said, well, we can't get it. We don't have a place large enough for everyone. So if you would like, you can go classroom to classroom. So we divided up into four or five teams, each one with a translator. And we did Sunday school 20 times. <laughs> it's amazing what God is doing. But that was from hands that said, Lord, not just in my heart. I want to do something. I praise, I praise the Lord. You belong to a church that does something. Whether by going or giving, the hands are on the plow. Let me encourage you tonight. Missions involves the head, the heart, and the hands. Are all three parts involved in your life? You see... In your small sphere of influence, maybe it doesn't seem like God is doing much. But if you involve all three, and you look onto the fields, you say, wow, God is still saving souls even today. 
with all the turmoil that's in the world, God's still moving, and I want to be a part of it. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed.